everyone. Welcome to Manufacturing Hub number 47 with me, Dave, and this guy up here, Vlad. Uh, again, we are working on cybersecurity this month. We've got a very special guest, uh, Miriam Coldedonato. Uh, she is the product manager of kind of the networking cybersecurity side over at Phoenix Contact. So, uh, Miriam, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you. Um, it's a pleasure being here. It's an honor being here. Thank you so much, Miriam. Really appreciate you joining us today. I want to, you know, before we dive into your current role and some of the software and hardware and obviously other offers that you have to uh, to offer to us, can we discuss maybe a little bit more of your background? How did you get started in cybersecurity? How did you get into the, the industrial space? What was the path there? Uh, long story or the short or the short story? Let's go with the let's go with the long. You know, let's kind of dig into okay. it a little bit. So, to be honest with you, it kind of just happened through life. I had no idea cybersecurity was going to be my career path at all. It just came. And more on the ICS OT side of things. Let me just give you why. Um, you know, we've talked before, you know, I'm an immigrant from Venezuela. I was going mm-hmm. out there uh I was there after after high school, I graduated, I went to college for telecommunication engineering. Uh, Really nice, fancy university. It has new computer labs. Cisco was hosting all of their very new certifications back in 2005, six, seven, uh, all of these new CCNS, CCMPs. IBM corporate was next door. So those were also after our study hours that we used to go and do the certifications. So telecommunication engineering was such a new career and I did the certifications. I was very IT-ish oriented, mm-hmm. a lot with the networking, radio communications and things like that, but more for, I want to call it enterprise applications, right? Not really OT. Um, you know, things happen. I came into the US and I actually uh, transferred credits. I finished my associates there, but transferred credits into electrical engineering. So now I get to involve into the PLC side of things and programming side of things. And it's like, oh, there's another new world out there that also has networking and protocols are not the same, but could talk, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's how you start putting one on one together. And when you're getting closer and closer to graduation, you're like, I don't want to be on an electrical plant. I don't want to be, you know, doing this or that. So I came up with, uh, I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Um, Phoenix Contact had a really nice uh, apprentice program. And, mm-hmm. you know, one thing led to another one. Uh, and I just got a full-time job with Phoenix doing or and representing mm-hmm. the cybersecurity uh, product line within Phoenix Contact, of course, that after that, I mean, it's gonna be 10 years in February, my knowledge have, you know, surpassed. And and thanks to Phoenix, through Phoenix, I also been able to graduate uh, with my master's in cybersecurity. So it's been kind of going up the ladder that way. I want to ask you a little bit more information on, you know, on that transition, because I think a mm-hmm. lot of uh, students from abroad are looking to come to the US and I think it's, not necessarily always clear what the path may be. How was that transition for you? And what are maybe some of the um, some of the tips that you can give them in uh, doing, let's say, after your bachelor's in electrical engineering, going into like a master's in U.S.? Um, it, uh, honestly, I'm going to be, it, it was kind of easy for me. Thank God I had, you know, parents backing up when everything happened. 
And it was early enough on that political issue we had in our country that everything worked out for me. A couple of years after my brother trying to migrate was a hundred times harder. And again, it's a different country. So I don't know, every country is different. And pre-pandemic and post-pandemic, I can't even imagine. Mm -hmm. But to me, it went really easy, really smooth. I researched a lot of ways that I was, it was kind of like one of my goals forever. I always came to vacation here. And it's like the only way that I could be, or I want to go to the U.S. to go to college, right? Um, so um, when that opportunity came along, I literally just researched online um, scholarships. What do I need to do? What are the steps transferring? And mm -hmm. there actually, I, and this is the way I was able to kind of transfer, there are companies that actually help you do that. Yes, mm -hmm. you have to pay them a fee, of course, but I did work, you know, I told my dad, hey, I'll work. He had a civil engineering company. I'll work with you for a couple, you know, semesters pay, to pay for this. I know, you know, it's going to be hard, but I really want to go. Um, so that's how I did it. That company helped me. And I'm pretty sure there's a lot of companies out there that are still doing that process. If you don't want to pay a fee, I would just say, look for a different. You're going to have to apply, apply everywhere. Um, and then the, the new world, like post, you know, post COVID, everything is so remote that if you care only about the degree, you can do it online. You, I mean, to be honest, I did my master's of cybersecurity in university, university of Maryland, global campus while I was working and yes, it's time investment while you have a full-time job, but I loved it. If you have that passion for knowledge, if you have that, like, you know, driven, like you want to learn more and actually apply it to your career, it's going to be no problem. Awesome. Yeah, I think I think that makes uh, a lot of sense. Uh, but I yeah. think, like I said, it's definitely valuable as uh, a lot of our listeners are trying to come from abroad into uh, the U.S. market. Um, so let's, you know, let's fast forward a little bit to today and learn about yes. your role at Phoenix Contact. What is it that you do? What is it, you know, what are the product lines that you work with? What are maybe some Definitely. of your customers and uh, the type of work that you do? Yeah. Um, so I am the senior product marketing specialist uh, for on my day to day. It's pretty much uh, the product that is called the MGuard and an attached kind of service that is the MGuard Secure Cloud. It, the MGuard specifically in like on basic terms is an industrial firewall. Right. When you talk about cybersecurity and cybersecurity uh, steps, it's an industrial firewall, an industrial VPN gateway. So if you need remote assets that need to connect to like a central SCADA or uh, also like an industrial router. Believe it or not, just standard natting is really important for like plant owners, automotive, like big companies that everything kind of fits within the same building. Nat is a big need. Mm -hmm. um, now the Ember Secure Cloud is that secondary, not secondary, it's also a primary service, but it stands from the hardware into that mm -hmm. service. It is an infrastructure as a service type of cloud cool. if uh, it's hosted in AWS. And what we're doing is if you think about of our potential customers or our customer base, mm -hmm. they're not IT people. They don't know how to set up a VPN. So, you know, these OEMs, panel builders, water, wastewater, like any type of remote connectivity they need in order to be able to make it secure, going back to the cybersecurity connect, you know, the cybersecurity topic, it's hard because you have to do certificates, authentication, manage users. Like there is levels and, you know, 
different levels that you have to do as a, as a account or the VPN owner to be able to get to a secure solution. So what we did is grab our NGAR technology and connect it to a public cloud and an easy to use management interface, which is us.cloud.mgar.com. So that's just the website. You register, the service is totally for free. You do need some type of requirements like encryption at the operator, you know, the user side, you need some type of VPN client. And then the MGAR, or we also have other products that we support there, including, for example, the PLC Next, uh, specifically that connects to our public cloud. Um, and of course, everything from the marketing side of things, I, I am very technical, but I, I try to use my other side of the brain sometimes. Uh, on the marketing side of things, I pretty much try to you know, bring that product, the service, and anything around cybersecurity awareness into the market. How do I translate technical topics that it is cybersecurity into a, a more broader audience, right? Into uh, less technical people, uh, because that's our audience. That's the people that we talk to. Um, every day. They might not understand how to set up a VPN. They know it's for remote connectivity, but how can we make that easier for everybody? And just as a conversation standpoint, um, you know, market competition, market pricing, you know, anything that has to do with the marketing side of things I do as well. I got a lot of uh, questions on the technical side, but you know, someone who's definitely not, I, I wouldn't consider myself an expert in cybersecurity. I often hear the term, you know, risk assessment. So maybe yes. as an entry point, even taking a look at a, an industrial-based customer, could you paint us a picture of what a risk assessment might start with? What would, let's say, a, an engineering manager at a plant who is concerned with their cybersecurity would start to look at in order to kind of take the first steps to, I, I would say, like educate themselves, but also assess what's going on with their current operations? Yeah, I mean... I would say risk assessment within a network is part of like a risk management plan. And it is definitely a step or, or a potential first step that you can start investigating uh, as a plan engineer, right? As a plant engineer, if you, add, if you own that asset, where do I start? You can start a risk management approach into your network, into what does it look like? And uh, probably one of the first steps within that risk, risk management approach would be that assessment or that risk assessment or do an assessment of your inventory and the entire risk of that assessment or the, the, the definition of risk within that assessment is to for example at the network level you have multiple devices right within a SCADA network um, it's a manufacturing plan manufacture x y or z product uh, you will want to do the asset inventory and you want to make sure you have within that asset for example all the, the firmware levels, right? Within the device or devices, multiple devices, multiple brands. And with having the, the, the firmware gives you the vulnerability, right? Gives you what type of vulnerability it is. And even a rank, because if you go to the National Vulnerability Database, those vulnerabilities are ranked. That's what gives you the risk. If your rank high is a high risk device or access point or- So that's open information. Sorry to interrupt. Oh, so that's yeah. open information that you can find. Okay. Oh yeah. So all of that information that I'm saying, it's kind of out there. IT has done it for years. They do risk assessments and risk management uh, within their own networks all the time. It's just OT doesn't really do it as much. Gotcha. Yeah, <laughs> that's a nice to... way of putting it. Oh yeah. Yeah, I would I would start by literally like what is risk management, right? Mm -hmm. What does that mean? And then 
try to keep your engineering, your plan manager in mind, like what does that mean translated to your own location? And then look, how would I do a risk assessment? Step mm -hmm. one, what's the step one? Identify your products. Do you already have a network drawing? Yes or no. Do you already have a list of products? Yes or no. Like those are the steps that you want to take one by one and then just go down through the, the entire process for, for a full risk management. And we have a, a question, Miriam, from uh, John in chat. So he's trying to, I guess, dumb it down even further, like he's a five-year-old. But I, I want to have okay. a discussion on, you know, like maybe the concrete steps. And I think maybe trying to have a conversation around including not only the technical side, but it's also walking your plant and understanding like what's going on with your operation, mm -hmm. then understanding the people involved, right? There's going to be a lot of, I would say, steps before you even dive into I, I think, you know, the perception of cybersecurity, and I'm speaking for myself only, it's someone hacking into your system and trying to install ransomware. And we'll get into that, but there's a, a lot of steps that we can do before that. Do you mind maybe exploring that a little bit more with us? I, I have a six-year-old and I and I do I do take it down a notch and to demonstrate to be able to do it. Like, for example, if you want to do the first basic risk assessment within your network. You don't ever, ever have to touch the devices. You literally just walk the plant and talk to people. That's it. Just walk the plant, look around. First things first, know that operating systems, employee workstations are probably the biggest risks, right? So, you know, your phones, you know, should not be connected to workstations at all, ever. Even if it's just for charging. This is a computer, it carries malware. That's a computer, mm -hmm. it carries malware. It could translate to each other, okay? From using a data cable, for example. And just talking to people, uh, asking questions, um, because people is going to be the weakest link on the chain on cybersecurity, yep. unfortunately. So just walking around, is there a panel cabinet? Is there a cabinet open? Is there a panel open? If I open it, what do I see? Is it a manager on a manage switch? Can I just plug in something? Like Dean, mm -hmm. do you do you remember being a kid being super curious about something and your dad will tell you, don't get in there and you just want to do it more? It's that curiosity that will drive you through that self-assessment. What could I do just by looking around and touching and asking questions? What type of information can I get that I could use later to attack my own system? So be the own bad guy for your own system at that point. The reason why I'm smiling is uh, it brought, you know, <laughs> a memory to, uh, to mind where some of the switches, you know, in facilities would be labeled as a joke, like unhackable switch or you cannot hack this, whatever. And I feel like that taunts the person even more, if anything, to try <laughs> yes. and figure out a for way sure. in. So that's uh, that kind of absolutely. Go ahead, I, I was going to say, and, and to to add to that, as you're going and looking and seeing if people are, you know, accidentally, you know, charging their phones from the station, you also go and look to see if someone has dual homed onto your IT network or computer because they want to watch the football game, right? Uh, you know, that's a very normal thing that happens, you know, mm -hmm. has my third shift operator hacked into my system by just plugging Ethernet cat five cat six cables places until he can go play PS three or PS four or PS five, because it's a really boring shift. And it's, you know, third shift on a Friday or Saturday or Sunday night, like all of these things are normal things that happen. And by taking your, 
even if you were to go through and kind of get a list of everything that theoretically mm -hmm. should it's be in the place that it is, yes. Like the theoretical on paper almost never matches the actual never. in a facility. So as Miriam was saying, you can go start by getting the list, but you have to walk the floor and mm -hmm. see what actually correlates. And it doesn't have to be like a personal motivation. I want to get distracted while I'm at work. It could be a professional motivation. Uh, something brought, somebody brought in logistics, brought in a new machine, which is a new scanner, awesome camera. Like we have to integrate it to the network and you are aware that they integrate it to the network, but you know, maybe they use a switch that was off the shelf, like something that is not pre-approved and it might have vulnerabilities or you might need other things to be able to bring that machine into the plant network. So there might be an automated switch sitting on the plant somewhere that if you compare it to what you thought you had versus what you really had. Yep. Those are already red flags that you need to have now the documentation, policies, and procedures yep. for your entire plan and the entire organization to be able to follow. If there is something that's going to get in, this is the way it's going to get in, and it's going to be recorded and blah, blah, blah. Absolutely. I, 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 would, I would absolutely uh, agree with that. I would also say, as, as a flashback to people that have been listening for 20 or more episodes, we had like a 20 minute conversation with a guest who we will not name about secret PCs on the OT side that the IT people oh can't possibly God. know about yes. because we need to run like 10 year old, 20 year old operating systems. And so it kind of just sits on a rack or it sits in a cabinet somewhere and it runs and we just don't talk about it. Right. So, so that kind of right there is also a red flag that was done mm -hmm. with best intentions, but best intentions open yourselves up to lots of risk possibility. I I mean, if you guys are going to have an IT person in the coming shows, I would tell them, what do you feel about something like this? I want to know like just a raw feeling mm -hmm. because it's there and it's happening. There's mm -hmm. nothing they can do about it, unfortunately. Nope. Um, and what I feed my engineers, when I'm talking to them, when I'm there to talk to cybersecurity is mm -hmm. don't let the IT in. If they don't understand your needs and your needs is this computer to be running 24 seven, 365, and the software needs to be running on that operating system. Yes, you need to protect it, but you can't let IT just push data. So yep. it's, I will tell them, protect yourself from IT. Um, and of course that takes us a little bit to the, 222, February 22, 2022, just <laughs> Pacific <we> <laughs> time. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, and that, that will take you to the next conversation is like yep. IT, OT needs, wants, desires, and, and security goals for both networks. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, Go ahead. I was going to say like, let's talk about that. The, the theoretical IT is always against OT, right? And so Legacy-wise, we kind of think of two opposing groups that th there's no gap kind of in the middle. I guess in my experience, I've found that if you can sit down and have an honest conversation, most of the time, everyone's goals are aligned with the company's success. It's just we're saying things and we don't speak the literal same programming languages or we don't speak the same protocols. And so things get mumbo-jumboed in. The OT side doesn't want responsibility for the IT side, and the IT folks are way overwhelmed. 
and they'll do what's in their job description, but they don't need to go learn 20 new protocols and try to figure out how to network a manufacturing floor. But, but like, let's get your thoughts. I know that this is a, a topic that you are very passionate on, Mary. Yeah. Do you want to add anything, Vladimir, before I just... Well, no, I mean, I was going to, again, just mention that this happens, I feel, in many facilities, but I think, you know, I wouldn't necessarily blame IT or OT. I think it's the misunderstanding, right? Like from the, but also from the automation side, I feel that, again, based on my experience, we don't take enough initiative to learn maybe some of the IT best practices that would allow us to secure some of those, let's say, yes. older PCs. Like you can run that. As an example, yes. you can run that in a virtual machine, giving the right tools and protect that virtual machine with the right OS, right? But we, again, or I wouldn't have spent enough time to learn how to properly do that. That's why some of us would request an older running OS that would then put the vulnerability into the plant. So I just, I'm trying to see, like, I see both sides and I think it's not an easy conversation for sure. It's it's definitely not an easy conversation. And I mean, being 10 years in the industry, I've seen a, a degree of getting better. It's not getting way better like we wanted to get, right? Like that big uh, up chart, but it's getting better. Um, overall, I mean, you mentioned all the challenges. Uh, we have legacy operating systems. These plants used to run isolated. They never connected to any type of enterprise, but now, or I mean, years before, now this enterprise or this enterprise stakeholders, the C-level people, they need data. They need to know how much product I'm producing today or I need to know how much I'm pumping out of the, 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 the ground so I can figure out the price of gas tomorrow. Like all mm -hmm. of that influences. Uh, so that's when the connectivity happened. And that's when people is like, yeah, I'm getting data, I'm connecting, but there's no security in it because IT didn't know how to do it with, mm -hmm. now let's jump into the IT side of things. What are, what are they? They, or the way on the cybersecurity side of things, they're really centralized. If you are part of an organization, everything is the same laptop, the same operating system, the same phone, everything is very common. Everybody's the same, why? because it's easier to protect and everything is centralized. It will go to a central device. You need the new um, iPhone uh, update that just came out right. because of security features. They push it out every night or that night to every user within the Phoenix contact network or the Phoenix right. contact organization and everybody's up to date. That's how IT departments have run for years. And now when they needed that service from the C-level people coming from yep. the OT side, it was easy enough. Oh, it's just data, put it on this database push it up, we'll present it to the C-level people on a pretty, you know, dashboard, uh, the data that they care about, right? The numbers. Now that cable or that connectivity is what brought all of the cybersecurity problems, needs and requirements. The way I see it, continuing with IT, if you guys have not heard about the CI triad, C-I-A triad, it's literally the way IT kind of, um, focuses on security. Confidentiality is at the top layer. Integrity is that middle layer and then availability. So if you mm -hmm. think about it, yes, we need to protect our employee data, our financial data. Everything has to be confidential. Um, integrity, 
everything has to be working as expected, making sure this mm -hmm. talks to that, right? And then availability. If my Windows computer goes down or I have a problem that is not working, if I were to be at the factory, um, you know, they would tell me, hey, can I keep the laptop for a couple hours? Just go work from your phone, your iPad, like, and I'll call you when it's ready. Downtime is okay. That is downtime for industrial side. So now jumping into the OT side of things, right? We connected. We, we know that there is something that we're missing, which is security. But how do we prioritize those same three concepts on the OT side? It's kind of like the other way around. So availability would be first. We need that plan to be running 24 seven, 365. Um, integrity, obviously it's also part of it because protocols talk to protocols, devices talk to devices, machine talk to machine, zones are talking to zones. If not, the entire process just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And then um, the confidentiality is not as important. I mean, what's the difference between my municipality here, my power plant versus yours over there in your city? Probably not much. The system is probably all the same. It's all ones and zeros trying to clean our water to bring it to our house, right? Mm -hmm. So the confidentiality is not as important. That is what I see the biggest differentiators. Like they don't understand that they have security goals that rank a little bit opposite. I really like that framework. Sorry to, to interject. <laughs> I've, I've never heard it put that way, but you know, obviously coming from the plant world, I, I understand that running the plant yeah. is the number one objective, but that's a yep. real interesting framework. Sorry. Yeah, no, you're fine. And going back to your example of hiding computers from uh, IT departments is I have responded. And when I say respond, that is try to help these teams to get to a solution. Uh, it, in emergencies like the IT department, they didn't, they forgot they have that cable in the middle for data. IT department since an update and it got all the way down to the plant level, it took down the entire part of the machine or part of the plant or that remote site. Um, just because of IT was doing what they're, you know, designed to do, patch Tuesdays. They found a device in their flat network, right? No firewalls, nothing that will isolate it. That simple update and that update got all the way down, disrupting the software, disrupting the PLC, disrupting the entire process causing an internal kind of, you know, attack. It's just downtime for a patch. So why do you want to hide it? Or what do I kind of try to empower my engineers uh, or asset owners to just, yes. I mean, I wouldn't hide it. I will be proud of it. And I will play with the feelings of IT and be like, this is unfortunately the way things are happening right now. This is a resources. There's no resource to do it. And even if we do have the resources, the PLCs are old. They might not work with the new devices. So what do we do? So the way I kind of think at it or the way I try to work with these two groups while I'm trying to empower my engineers, I'm trying to also grab and connect with the IT people, more of us, hey, they don't know anything about your network you don't know enough about their SCADA, how the processes work. They are very uncomfortable with the number, the infinitive number of brands of any SCADA network would have. Like yes. they would have a PLC from a manufacturer and a switch from a different manufacturer and the IOs and like everything is so different compared mm -hmm. to the way they do business. 
So the same feeling of uncertainty and doubt that they, they both have to try to help each other, protect each other, is what keep them separate, right? Um, and what I do, or when I get to that point that it's like, hey, I want to empower both of you to be able to kind of look in the eye and um, have these conversations is think global, but act local. Think global, like think like IT. Grab those IT controls, grab those IT security policies, uh, maybe some uh, involvement from IT because they are a subject matter experts for cybersecurity. They've been doing it for years. Mm-hmm. But now act local and translate all of those policies and security procedures and everything that they're telling you more into the plant. And this is where you pretty much control the actions and control what policies make sense and don't make sense for your current network. Um, And that's how you act that response. So it would be more like a think global, like the company should be thinking like a cultural thing, but then act local, knowing or owning what you have and knowing what would work versus what would, what it won't work. So in a practical sense, you know, going back to, you know, the the rigid maybe standardization of uh, IT hardware and software, would you see it split into kind of like a second category of what would apply in certain OT cases or what would that maybe kind of spawn after that conversation in in a practical sense for the automation engineers, let's say, how would IT deal with them? Um, I would say... I would probably think everybody, it doesn't really matter how the fusion happens. There has to be, and it, I think the best type of team would be a group of IT and OT in, you know, personnel working together, but there has to be a security department within the company with enough, you know, support from the C-level suite people that has, you know, the power to have, votes and speak and resources and budget that will work with IT to follow that think global policies that they already have, but they work with the engineers and they understand the plant side to be able to actually translate and they have the power and the flexibility to translate that to the best uh, scenario or the best way that will still make the plant run on a secure way. So having that middle department, IT, OT, OT engineer, IT engineer, ICS, cybersecurity. And it doesn't matter where it belongs. It could belong inside the IT department. It could belong inside the OT part. I just think there has to be a mix of of both, definitely, uh, to be able to get started. And I've seen bigger companies do that. Now, smaller companies, you know, medium to small size where, you know, IT departments are smaller and, and, and the engineering team even smaller, it's where it becomes a little bit of a challenge. Yeah, I, th- I think that I think that definitely makes sense. And again, I think to those who are maybe not as familiar with the plant floors, you know, to kind of bring this back, it's not always because of any malicious intent, but a lot of times you get mm-hmm. these devices that are, again, out of the box, present certain th- threat risks, right? There's yes. going to be, again, even devices sold today that may have an OS running on it from the industrial side because the the life expectancy is 10 plus years. Mm-hmm. And so that uh, PLC, HMI, switch, or what have you might come with an older uh, you know, firmware software and ultimately be vulnerable to some of these attacks. So it's not uh, because people are necessarily not doing something correctly. It's because it, it, it is inherently 
uh, different from that environment, right? And so it's yeah. just understanding all those little points of, again, vulnerability that, as Dave was saying on the plant floor, it could be mm-hmm. not even like watching a football game, but maybe someone's pulling up a schematic for a broken piece yeah. of machinery, right? They're trying to fix something, but by downloading that from a third-party website, they could get malware on a critical piece of machinery just because out of the box that HMI is a computer and it allows you to do it, right? So. Oh, uh, yeah. I I think I would be the worst. Like if I were to be, I'm on a vendor <laughs> side, of course, but I would be just the worst security engineer for any asset owner. Um, I would, computers should not be accessing like on my level of knowledge and resources. Any ICS computer, workstation operating system, should have no access to the internet at all. At all. Red flag, fire. Whoever tried to do it, gone. Like it's no kidding. Because, yeah, unfortunately, you know, talking about risks, right? Like what are the mm-hmm. biggest risks right now? And I would say 2021 was huge for ransomware. Huge yep. data, data uh, credential stolen, right? Mm-hmm. So you with the credential stolen, uh, remote hackers can easily do uh, lateral movements to get into any plant. And now it's not as hard or as complicated. Or, you know, the way that ransomware worked Back in 2017 with WannaCry, if you guys uh, mm-hmm. remember WannaCry, that it was like it was like a magic day, like today, a random day that it just appeared everywhere in the world, like turn yeah, on, everywhere. show everywhere, including healthcare, including you know uh, critical uh, operating systems, mm-hmm. you know uh, industrial networks, and it disappeared. And it's like this is crazy. This is a ransomware. It's affecting operating systems. It's a new type of malware, and it's money. They care about the money. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just money motivated people. Now bring it to 2021. What was the biggest uh, ransomware in 2021, you know, in industrial control system, system? It was the pipeline, right? Yeah, yeah colonial, colonial, pipeline. colonial pipeline. So if, if you kind of think about colonial pipeline and the way they did it, um, ransomware that affected IT, right? It never ever touch an operating or a computer on the industrial side of things that was a managerial decision it was there was a lot of you know there was a lot of items that affected that decision but they shut down because technology there's people outside i get it there's people outside everywhere all right i just turned that off um so Going back to that conversation of ransomware, um, to bring it back to 2021 in the colonial pipeline, it didn't affect IT. It didn't affect OT. It affected very important financial assets or services mm-hmm. within IT. So the, the, the management decided we need to shut it down. And it was shut down for like 10 days, I believe. And it all come back up. But of course, people react. There is an action and a reaction. People react crazy and that's all the memes and all the videos of people putting gas on like target bags, crazy. Uh, (laughs) Tangent conversation. But um, what the differentiator from like a WannaCry to Mm -hmm. 2021, the Colonial Pipeline hack or ransomware was 
is that it wasn't just, I'm gonna lock and encrypt your files using this ransomware. You pay me the money, I'll get your, your, your files back. It was a little bit different. They were on the network. They stole information. Uh, and if you are familiar with this, I follow them, of course. Uh, it's a Russian, it's a Russian hacking hacker uh, or, or a Russian organization that they got into the network with some stolen credentials, stole the information, and then implemented that ransomware. And in order, so it wasn't just the file encryption that they did, they were threatening them that they will release their financial information, their employee information where everybody lives, private confidentiality information, right? That, that's the key point from IT to try to protect. Uh, so they're using both. They're using that uh, ransomware and they're using uh, threats. So you don't pay me, we're gonna release this information. They're getting really smart. So if you think about it, they went into the network, they got the data that they needed, that is the financial data, and they came back around and say, we know you make X amount a year. So if we charge you, mm -hmm. you know, A, B, or C, it's not going to affect your business. We're just trying to make a business ourselves. Mm -hmm. So just pay us. We'll give you the key back. We move on. We'll delete the data. We're done. It's a business transaction nowadays, unfortunately. That is your biggest risk. And one people, one single individual in your network can click on the wrong link and get your ransomware. Mm -hmm. As simple yep. as that. Yep. And, and Miriam, correct me if I'm wrong, but we hear about only a very tiny fraction of some of these ransomware attacks as to what really occurs, right? Because I think it's not in the company's, I would say, advantage to divulge that they have been uh, you know, attacked and thus opening them up to potential other attackers. But so I just want to emphasize that what we read on the news and what is made available and probably, you know, the information that they even released on the Colonial Pipeline is limited yeah. as to what really happens in the world. And again, these attacks could be small scale, like targeting like a single plant, or it could be uh, entire like business-wide uh, attacks, right? I, yes. I honestly don't think ransomware is meant as a target, yes. If it's business oriented and they wanna make more money, eh, oil and gas is a pretty good place to start um, to make some money or quick money out of there. But um, there's gonna be always people trying to make a living out of a ransomware. I, I, it doesn't have to be a targeted attack. I think it's always gonna be there. And if you're gonna have to take them out, if you're gonna have to pay for it to recover your systems, I mean, if you if you research the FBI, the CIA, they don't recommend you to pay them. But what else are you going to do? Are you going to restart your own, your own machine? So, if, for example, you have a PLC and you need to restart that operating system. And do you have the software that you need? May you call your vendor and that was a machine you bought 10 years ago. It's still running. Do they even have a fraction of the entire way of how used to it was running, right? To make it all run. Because you can clear the operating system, right? You can just reset everything, clear it all up, but you're gonna have to start from scratch and do you have the support? After pandemic, if you think about it, a lot of companies shut down. Are they even still alive? Like, how are you gonna recover that? Mm -hmm. So <laughs> questions, the top of questions, the top of uncertainties that it gets put out there. Uh, but yeah, and, and I just think ransomware is going to be one of the things that is just going to be forever, unfortunately, just because it's money oriented. No, absolutely. No, and I, I think, 
you know, Dave, if I can throw in one last question before I let you um, comment on one of your own. But, uh, you know, that's one kind of comment that I hear a lot about the industrial space, you know, which is that the industrialized PLCs or HMIs are not traditionally open to hacking, right? And people have this, I would say, a preconceived notion that they're more difficult to hack. But in my mind, if anything that builds this kind of mindset, well, I don't have to secure this. It's a proprietary piece of equipment. It's going to be great. You know, it doesn't require any firewalls or anything else. And I think mm-hmm. if anything, those are the red flags that the industry is more susceptible to uh, to ransomware. So I'm, I'm curious, you know, what are your thoughts mm-hmm. on you know, our companies obviously putting in more money towards securing their infrastructure, but there's also the change towards, I would say, like augmenting some of these PLCs and making them better. But do you see threats coming the industrial on the industrial side more in the coming years? Uh, so let me answer with two separate answers, but I'm going to try to put them together at the end. When we were talking about ransomware, that's money motivation, right? So to me, if I'm the bad guy and I'm just motivated by money, I would attack everybody. Whoever falls for that hook, I'm going to try to get. But then you that's just one type of attacker, right? Mm-hmm. But then if you put it on a different type of attacker who might be more nation state, maybe more competitor type of approach, mm-hmm. that's different because that would put a target on somebody's back. It would be an organization that I'm targeting because I want to make sure the systems are down. For example, the power grid in the US, it's all connected. And if you imagine if you attack a couple of those bigger power plants Mm -hmm. all around the US together from, let's call it nation states that have never, that have not agreed with the way we do politics, right? Um, Russia, North Korea, even, you know, China. And what would happen if like that would be like the big picture scenario and that's how you, you know, develop an attack or create an attack like Stuxnet, like nobody believed it would ever happen until it happened, right? It's more of a nation state with a lot of resources targeting one thing, the nuclear facility in Iran targeting a PLC that they knew they had the data, they knew it was running in there mm-hmm. and they just kind of let her go. So yes, we, industrial systems is what runs this world. Like, mm-hmm. like I don't understand. It's funny, I talked to my husband, he has no idea what I do. And I just tell him, hey, how was work today? And I'm like, great, I saved the world today, you know? Something, ah. because hey, I was talking to a water facility or I was talking to cybersecurity to a power plant, like I'm manufacturing. Um, yeah, I saved the world today because I'm trying to keep them protected. I feel like my own superhero because I am doing that. And he has no idea. Mm-hmm. So it's that. The world we live on is run by industrial control systems and everything exactly you said, if we're not protecting it at every level, we're going to be on big problems. Just unfortunately, we're going to be on big problems. Right now, post-pandemic, we're seeing issues of shortages and just overall issues within the market because of the pandemic. Imagine how it would be if our industrial plants are affected by by a major cyber attack. That is just a big picture scenario. Dave, you had a question before. Sorry, I had cut you off. 
I did, but now Miriam is just literally scared everyone that listens, and so now we have no people <laughs> listening. But uh, no. saying that, so 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 I, I certainly want to get back to an earlier comment where you talked about basically air gapping the entire OT side on the computer side. But before we have that, Vlad has to play a tune, and we have to thank some people for sponsoring this show. There we go. Okay, perfect. So uh, we want to say a big thank you to Phoenix Contact for sponsoring the cybersecurity theme. Uh, so you guys know the PLC Next and the PLC Next Edge Gateway that we talked about a couple of months ago. So they're the state-of-the-art IIoT and edge computing uh, solutions designed for data collection in the most demanding environments. From a small machine to an entire manufacturing facility, the PLC Next Edge Gateway leverages advanced industrial design, programming openness to collect data from any device uh, or sensors, so any data, any cloud. And I think that was the cloud that Miriam was talking about earlier, which kind of brings me to the, the, the next part that uh, that we get to invite Miriam to have a conversation about. Uh, but did you guys know that Phoenix Contact has a whole range of secure networking solutions? Uh, a lot of them fall under the MGuard uh, branding. And so the MGuard family is a family of rugged security devices, including a firewall, a router, and optional VPN functionality to industrial networks. So these high-level the layer three functions are essential for protecting your industrial network from malicious attacks and accidental interruptions, as well as connecting to office or enterprise networks. So it's the firewall, the VPN gateway, and the industrial router. Um, so I want Marion to talk about this, but first I want to go back to like the beginning conversation where she was talking about building this secure like industrial cloud. So is that the same cloud? I guess, do you know, is that the same cloud that the PLC Next Edge Gateway and kind of those tags that get pushed up from the PLC Next Live-In? Um, no. <laughs> no, there are different ways that the PLC Next can connect or the PLC Next Gateway can connect to mm -hmm. multiple clouds that you, you mm -hmm. already know. Uh, what the MGAR Secure Cloud is, is it's a kind of like user to equipment remote connectivity. So okay. if you need to, it's not the data, right? It's not about the data at that point. That's what the gateway is for, mm -hmm. to connect to the cloud or the rest of the clouds that, the cloud services that we have and the PLC Next, mm -hmm. uh, and the PLC Next gateway will allow you to do. So if you need to connect, mm -hmm. and this is the IIoT goal, right? Yep. IIoT goal, pro pushing data from factory up to a cloud or in a specific, or our cloud, that's what I will allow you to do it. Now, okay. the MGAR Secure Cloud is more of the user to remote connection. So okay. in order, because obviously in order to connect to remote equipment, you need mm -hmm. a VPN gateway. We do it securely. Okay. You'll use it through the MGAR, or we also have other devices called the TC Cloud clients. Okay. But being an open PLC, that PLC Next, we also support the PLC. So if you only need to reach that PLC, you put the MGAR Secure Cloud uh, app uh, within that PLC Next, and you okay. will connect to our cloud for remote connectivity and support. Okay. Really? Okay. Very interesting. interesting. Yeah. Uh, every time we have a conversation with Miriam, Vlad and I know we've got like 20 hours of research to find more <laughs> awesome solutions that uh, the Phoenix Contact is coming out with. Uh, but I know we talked a little bit about it earlier, Miriam. Can you give us kind of the, the brief rundown of the MGuard family and what you guys are doing to help secure either at that level three firewall or just kind of in, in general? Let me give it to you as a, as a Phoenix Contact umbrella, okay? As an organization, yes. because it's, I've always been a fan of it's not about one device, it's about everything, mm -hmm. right? And, yeah. and the big word with security, security goes along with trust. So if you trust Phoenix Contact and what we're doing within our products and everything else, you will trust uh, our devices as well. Mm -hmm. So 
the Phoenix Contact Umbrella is actually coming out with what we call Phoenix Contact Critical Infrastructure Protection or SIP, Critical okay. Phoenix Contact SIP. That Phoenix Contact SIP is a pretty much, you have to imagine it as a big circle, uh, 360 degree security, where okay. we separate that, uh, that circle in three pies. The first one is the products, right? Mm-hmm. Product specific the development and security life cycle. So it's not just, um, and this jumps into cybersecurity standards, right? That we mm-hmm. really didn't talk that much, but um, IC 62443 is a new standard coming out that balances uh, responsibility of securing an entire network from the asset owner to the system integrator mm-hmm. to the vendor. And yep. actually our development team uh, out in Germany is pre-certified for IC 62443-4-1, which is secure development of the product of the firmware. Um, and not just that, making sure that if there is a vulnerability, we're on it. We're there, mm-hmm. we're on it. And I haven't felt more proud of my team since I've seen them working after that. And not just that, uh, having this the secure features inside of our products, not just the MGAR. Yes, the MGAR okay. has a firewall, a VPN gateway, the NATing functionality, and you can add other advanced functionalities uh, for security that you can work them all together, a la carte, uh, or individually, right? Yep. Um, but if you also talk about network infrastructure devices, managed yeah. switches, same, mm-hmm. same type of development, same mm-hmm. type of security features. They can connect. They can talk to other uh, IT software for more proactive monitoring. Um, same thing with our radio. Same thing with our WLAN uh, wireless technologies. Mm-hmm. Like all of that, if you think about it as a network standpoint, and that's what the group that I work in, okay? okay. Um, that would be the product, you know, pie, going back to my pie, mm-hmm. right? The other part of the pie is our solutions. Phoenix Contact, and this is years, we have what we call our uh, vertical markets, right? We have our pillars of automotive and utility and uh, transportation and data centers. Like we have our vertical markets that we know and we understand from years in years. And of course, and how the way they've been evolved. Now they work with uh, obviously our own internal team and to Mm -hmm. the solution specific for that specific industry. So what is what is the industry, for example, power generation distribution? They have to follow mm-hmm. NERC-SIP uh, cybersecurity implementation. So we have documents, we have procedures. We might have already a pre-built solution that it yep. is ready to implement. So because we have the knowledge on the vertical market side of things that we create solutions for everybody, including cybersecurity solutions. It doesn't have to be only cybersecurity. It's kind of overall, but it does have to touch on cybersecurity. And the third part of that pie and I'm, and I'm kind of like, this is the last uh, closing statement. <laughs> it's uh, the Network Engineering Services team, our new team, okay. NES. And it is that. It's like, we've developed the product. We are the owners of the product. You might not, or even your system integrator, right? Your, your system mm-hmm. integrator, your IT department might not fully know how to manage this. So we now have created this Network Engineering Services that will allow you to help your partner or yourself as an asset owner, implement the device with the best practices, the best security recommendations, mm-hmm. uh, configure the, f- the features that you have, or maybe even connect it to third-party softwares or cloud services, AWS, Azure, for mm-hmm. IoT, for security, for SOC, for log, Seams, uh, to make the entire approach of cybersecurity a little bit bigger. So that's kind of like the entire roundup answer for a, okay. uh, it's not just a product, it's about way more than a product. 
So I guess, I guess one, I love that. And two, Vlad, you're going to need to like blow out the wall behind you because you have a lot more hardware uh, and software managed services that, that are going to need to be tested in, in 2022. Um, Vlad has a question that I want to get back to while I was talking about the, the air-gapped conversation. I okay. do have a question. I want to, you know, for someone who's overwhelmed by the amount of information, for someone who's yeah. maybe at the plant level, again, an engineer mm-hmm. in automation, an engineer that's maybe an engineering manager who's trying to, uh, I would say is a little bit scared by everything that you've said thus far and he's looking to secure their facility, take those first steps. And I know that we talked about what could be mm-hmm. some of those first steps, but if you could maybe talk to us a little bit more on how can they get educated in the space, right? And so you've pursued a traditional degree that maybe is yeah. inaccessible, again, Obviously, some can take it part-time. Maybe they don't have those two years that they can commit to. What are some of the other avenues that one can learn more about cybersecurity? Is it the you know the traditional certifications? Is it a class online? Is it YouTube? What are your thoughts around that? Uh, my answer is yes to all. The, the, the problem is going to be the you know the financial aspect of it of course so there is a lot of certifications out there and those classes are amazing but Mm -hmm. if you think about it a certification sometimes takes five days away from your normal job and it could cost up to like high you know seven thousand dollars for for an advanced certification Mm -hmm. and it's not that the certification that's the class right? For a five-day class, you go and attend, you study, and then you go and present your test, which is, you know, a couple extra hundred dollars Mm -hmm. to be able to do it. So that would be something that is, is your organization is up to security, that should be something that you should be requesting. Mm -hmm. Um, So that would be a probably a good place to start. If they're looking to be more cyber secure, that would be part of your next budget meeting. We need to train our people. We need to have them. And there's different levels, right? I'm going all the way to probably the most expensive one. I, I still see some negatives on that side because I've done it myself. Um, not that I've done it myself, but I've, you know, hey, I'm going to take a marketing class for, uh, you know, three days intensive. And then I just forgot it three weeks later because my brain works mm-hmm. on the technical side and not as much on the marketing side. So you will forget if you're not going to grab that information and literally drop what you were doing and start applying it on your system, it's going to kind of get blurred out through time. So to me, I specifically don't like that. There are other uh, training companies out there for industrial control systems um, that treat it more like a college degree or just instead of being a full immersive five days that you get away, you still have your day job, but they treat it as an online course and it's a six month period. So it, it's, I've seen it that is way more affordable than the standard uh, certification. So there are price ranges that you can kind of go to your manager and say, look, there's different ways that we can do this. And I would like, or I would prefer that six month better because I'm literally doing my job and then doing that and then maybe find a way to try to put them together. So you're doing it for six months and not just like once and done. And then you have to go back to pick up all the hundreds of thousands of emails that you have backed up. Do you mind sharing Um, some, sorry, Miriam, to interrupt again. Do you mind sharing some like specific programs around that? Again, we're not going to ask you to say which one's better or worse. That's going to be up to the people, but just so they have a reference you know, that they can go uh, go back to maybe, um, or if they can reach out to you and kind of ask those questions, I think that would be beneficial as well. 
So obviously, um, I don't know if you want to uh, uh, just show it, uh, if there is some type of any ways of being able to share a screen, but SANS is one of them, right? And SANS has a, an amazing cyber academy that I, if I had all the monetary, <laughs> if I had the power to be able to go through their trainings, I would love to yep. go through the entire trainings uh, themselves. Um, I'll share the, the link in the chat. So those of you Perfect. who are listening or watching, it should be either in the footnotes or right now on the LinkedIn and the YouTube channels. Okay. And then the other one, I'm actually kind of getting all confused or um, it's um, ICS for CSI. I already forgot. I mean, I'm, I'm looking for the website real quick. Um it's a good friend of ours, actually. Uh, the, the the manager, the owner is uh, Joel Engel. And I mean, very famous on the industry and cybersecurity, but he hosts this. And I mean, I've seen the programs and it's one of the things that I believe it's better for a person like me uh, to be able to run in through new knowledge and take it and try to apply it while I'm doing my full-time job uh, would be better at that point. And I, get, I can, yeah. And as soon as I get the link, I can, I can share it, send it so you can share it with everybody. Fantastic. And I would say to, to Miriam's point, I think that if you can gain knowledge and then utilize that knowledge firsthand in your workplace at the same time, your ability to retain and actually learn and turn that into a skill is going to be much higher for I would imagine at least the vast majority of the people who listen to this show, are, they're all doers, right? Like many of them who listen to this are, we're all Googling every day to kind of figure out what it is that we need to do to, uh, to get to the next step. So if you're like that, looking at a longer course that allows you to go implement yeah. that knowledge as you're going through it will probably be, uh, be, be very helpful, very helpful for that. And so uh, I was going to say, we'll drop all those links in the, uh, in the comments and the, yeah. uh, the show notes below as well. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, what I was um, going to add, and that's hopefully you can get the buy-in from, mm -hmm. you know, the budgetary side of things that you will be able to actually do these things. If none of this works, I would never, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm hungry for knowledge. I'm always want to know what's the next best thing, what's going to happen in the future, right? Like, Yep. And the more knowledge you kind of get into you, the more your mind starts working that way. Yep. Instead, <laughs> and you can imagine me, this is a fight that I have in my house. Football is going on. And <laughs> every time I get on like my husband's car, or we go to the gym and I just trying to talk to him. Like I notice he's listening to like NFL podcast and mm. predictions and analysis and all of this. And I'm like, to me, it's such a waste of time. Like I am listening to YouTube videos about mm -hmm. new technology, cybersecurity, attacks, mm -hmm. blockchain, like how it's all going to affect us on the cybersecurity side of things 10, 20 years from now. Um, so all of that, it's what I would recommend doing. Are you driving home? Don't listen to NFL. You can watch it later. Take Sundays as a break day, watch it. Why do you care about the, anal you know, the analysis right before or after? Right. And again, that's just a personal problem. But uh, overall, it's just that hunger of knowledge. You can use YouTube to learn mm -hmm. the basic terms, right? What is security? What is safety? Yep. What's the difference between safety and security? How do we protect safety systems? Because that's another thing. Um, even how to do a risk management approach. Where do I start? 
What are the cybersecurity standards for plants? I, what is IEC 6443? How do I start implement? Mm -hmm. Like all of that, there is a ton of free information out there. And if you yep. take it one step at a time, I mean, an hour a day while you go to the gym, while you're driving your car, it will take you a long way as well. Like for anybody who has yep. no idea on, for example, the IT side or the cybersecurity side, how to get started. Yeah, and and I would add, you know, to the to the YouTube reference. I know that a lot of universities post their entire courses on YouTube, yeah. but a lot of times also like you know on their own university portals, so you can get a very high quality class for pretty much zero dollars, right? Like you don't zero. need to sign up to any program for that matter. You just have to commit those those hours and that effort, which is not always um, obvious, but uh, needs to be there if you're looking mm -hmm. to to learn for sure. Yep. Absolutely. I think all of this is great. I want to have a very truncated, air-gapped conversation. Okay. Uh, like, we, we can't do it in five minutes, but, like, let, let's kind of lay out the sides. I feel like air-gapped versus not air-gapped is 20 hours of argumenting uh, between, like, 12 different groups. But uh, so, so kind of to one of your earlier points, Miriam, you said that if you worked at a facility, you would basically in no way, shape, or form allow any OT computers to be used for the internet, not necessarily yeah. any computer on the OT floor, but any computers attached to the OT system, right? I think we need to make that, that distinction. So, Correct. Uh, and I, I think many people agree with you. I think that the kind of the flip side of that coin is then, you know, are, are we running, uh, you know, are we drilling holes in firewalls and running data through VPNs to get to the cloud? And two, like, is it realistic in 2022 to actually air gap? It is not realistic. Like yeah. I've been food and bev industry. If you think about yep. it, they, they don't need industrial computers, but they do need, they, they have standard desktop computers because everything yep. is already AC because of it's food, yep. it's food or, or, or bad. Um, they were talking cybersecurity and you see the pain, like it's literally like on their face, the pain yes. that you walk in there and listen, this is what we need to do. And we have an operating system and okay, perfect. And now you kind of sidetrack to another conversation. They have two computers, one that sits, which would be pretty much my way of running things. One, they, one is the one that connects to the, that, the plant network. And then they have the Windows 10 with Teams with everything else that has access to the internet, the corporate. But guess what? In order to be able to collaborate the way we do right now on Teams and be able to download stuff and share, even to be able mm -hmm. to download a file because OneDrive is where they store their PLC stuff. How mm -hmm. do they move that to the other computer? What's the easy way of doing that? You need access to the internet to even have a OneDrive to be able to just easily share a file. Like yep. it seems so easy. You can do it through your phone, but that's the pain. Like right now that happened to me end of 2021 that you see they, this more advanced security applications the engineers are still feeling because there's mm -hmm. no way for them they can manage. Like it would be so much easier. Imagine how productive they would be if they didn't have to deal with that. Mm -hmm. There is no good way. And it's not just that. The software here, the software is here that talks to PLCs, but then the new updates and the new code and all the collaboration tools that they're working on, it's here. Mm -hmm. it's, it's pretty tough. And I saw that, I, I saw that firsthand. 
So to me, it doesn't exist. And I mean, it might exist, but it, there, there has to be a better way. And yep. obviously I don't have the answer, but it has to be a better way. I, I would agree with that comment of there has to be a better way. I don't think it's realistic to have high value assets flopping between two computers and then, I don't know, maybe in theory, jamming a flash drive in something. It's, and something. Yeah, it's, the other. But, but at that point, are we really much more secure than just connecting it's, it's it to the, the same. Yeah, exactly. it's, to me, it's the same. It's yep. the same. That Stuxnet, yes, very advanced malware, but it was dormant until it found its destination, like the, the yep. PLC. So anything could be running on that process or that enterprise laptop. But if you use it and connect it here, which is connected to the rest of the plant, yep. it, it could easily happen. So yeah, I, I completely agree with you. There is That's not a real way. There's no real gap there because you're still using that vulnerable device, a flash drive that can easily move uh, malware around as well. Absolutely. I, I think that there will certainly have to be smarter people than Vlad and I uh, trying to uh, trying to figure out what the actual solution is uh, to, to keep ourselves safe and to be able to have some amount of access to tools that we just kind of generally take for granted. Uh, so yeah. I appreciate that comment, Miriam. I'm sure that we'll get like a thousand people arguing with us uh, from both sides, which is always my favorite part of bringing up Love the it. should we air gap or not conversation. Yes. Perfect. Um, we are getting close to the end. Uh, so we have the, the same kind of rapid questions that we ask everyone. Um, and you are not just prepared with a couple of book recommendations, but you have a pile of books next to you. Can you, I have can, you can you talk through those and, yes. uh, and tell so us what you think? These two are pre-pandemic, um, or I read them pre-pandemic. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with um, the S4X show uh, yes. hosted by Dale Peterson. Yep. So we, in Phoenix content, we support it. We go every year. And I got this uh, through the show. Um, okay. it, the, the first one is the cybersecurity dilemma. I love this one because it gives like the big picture scenario of nation states and yep. the overall how the security dilemma from the civil world uh, or the the cold world kind of translate into the new world um, yep. for cybersecurity and going back to like nation states problems. So it doesn't have to do a lot with, um, you know, specific industrial control systems. It's more big picture. But at the end of the day, they affect utility, power. That's what it would probably cause the next war right yep. um so this is what it touches and i really like that one uh this one just because of that it's like more big picture if you're trying to get into that idea of what could cyber security or a cyber incident could do to the united states this is a really good one a cyber security dilemma um the next one is uh skater security uh how to <laughs> what's broken and how to fix it <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, I love it. It's by Andrew Ginter. Uh, again, I got it uh, 2017. This one I got it on 2018. And um, the problem with me is like, I already know enough that pisses me off going to the first couple of chapters. Yeah, honestly. But what I do love about this one is that it finally touches on specific SCADA applications. So after getting out of this cybersecurity dilemma that is very general, very like Hollywood picturesque book, uh, 
the, the security security specific, it's the specifications, right? It talks about the protocols itself. It talks about how to fix them. It talks about, um, and I like to mention it to everybody because the first chapters are always the basics, yep. always. So do not be afraid because it says cybersecurity or data security is going to be hard. I would say this is a really good book for IT guys. Mm -hmm. Really good book for IT guys. Um, Just because it will lay the ground down for the beginning for SCADA, like what's the SCADA system? What does SCADA stand for? But overall, that's what I really like. And, um, you know, it goes back and forth into different security technologies. what do they believe on, you know, defense in depth and things like that. But uh, it's a good book. I would recommend it more for IT. Uh, mm-hmm. But also if you do want to have an easier read as a manager or plant manager or asset owner, that will mm-hmm. focus on security on something that you already know. Absolutely. Makes sense. And of course, my last one is uh, the Pascal Ackerman book, which is a Bible. It's so big. It's, it's so, so big. big. It's huge. And I, to be honest with you, I have not even... Uh, I, I don't think I break in like the third chapter, but overall um, it starts the same way. I really, and I love these guys the way they do it because mm-hmm. they have to start with the basics. So it pisses mm-hmm. me off personally, because it's like, okay, I know this, but I don't want to miss anything of the story. That's just yep. me, the way I read. So it's like, I already know this. I already know this move on, move on. But when I see the glossary and when I'm going to, I'm going to get into with Pascal is, my God, the labs that I'm going to be able to do. I'm so like hungry to get to those parts because it Mm -hmm. literally, it talks about risk management and how to do it. It gives you Mm -hmm. tools. It gives you uh, security assessment tools. It gives you uh, open source tools that you can download for free. Like Mm -hmm. it's really amazing. And it's not just that. It's not just a book telling you a story Mm -hmm. or telling you technology. It gives you screenshots and Mm -hmm. step-by-step processes on how to do things. So again, and I'm gonna let me give a quick shout out uh, to my boy um, Josh Verghese. He actually was doing a giveaway, if you guys remember, mm-hmm. on LinkedIn, and yep. I actually got one of them. Um, I would have never known how good this book is unless I would have gotten from him. But overall, I can't wait. And I mean, obviously, everything is about time. And actually, mm-hmm. I do want to sit down. And I'm guessing this was Pascal's goal. I want to mm-hmm. sit down and do some of this stuff in my lab network in my garage, right? Yep. It's just a matter of time. And that's why I'm kind of digesting it little by little because I really want to learn a lot more of what he has to say. What kind of Absolutely. lab, uh, just on a side note, what kind of uh, hardware and software does he describe in those labs? Is it, uh, you know, your standard maybe Cisco switches or does he generalize it to just any like networking devices? I'm, I'm just so curious. So from the tools, so, and I haven't gotten into the tools or the different okay. tools uh, part of it, but he talks about overall environments. He talks about IT software like the scenes right? Mm-hmm. And why or why the seams are so important. Um, how, do you, uh, how do you assign or, or implement security in that industrial control systems? Like those are the, the first parts that I kind of read through. But then it talks about security monitoring and how do you do more proactive security versus reactive security? Mm-hmm. So for example, mm-hmm. I can give you this tell you, if you put an MGAR firewall and you just implement it and you have you know, a couple of rules, allow, yes, no, that's more like a reactive security yeah. But if you're monitoring the logs and you connect that MGAR to a SIEM or a syslog server that is reading those logs and alarming the user, hey, this is not supposed to be a traffic or this looks like 
X or Y or Z pattern, you should go take a look. That is more of a security proactive. That's gotcha. so seems tool. So it talks about, I mean, um, passive and um, uh, active scanning. Active scannings that you do on the network. It also talks about um, open source tools like a couple of different firewalls, VMs, mm -hmm. firewall VMs that exist. I mean, there are names within the glossary or the table of contents that you can mm -hmm. see, um, and how to connect them. I mean, from from everything. And I think he's a, a threat hunter uh, by by role. So he also talks about threat hunting uh, at the end or at the end of the of the book. And that would be a new part for me, something that I have Absolutely. not fully like immersed myself on. Oh, I would say really Pascal, I think Pascal spends all of the time in his lab. I have said it many times. I don't know how he spent time to, to sit down and actually uh, create that much volume of book. That is yeah. a conversation I, I will have to have with him. <laughs> at some point and at some point we, we will get them on the show but that's like 20 hours of conversation just for the oh, first yeah. chapter of the book so no th those were those were fantastic uh, recommendations uh, thank you Miriam. uh yeah. so next next question for you is we'd like to ask for career advice and we like to leave it you know open and broad but maybe on your maybe on your side if someone is looking to get into cybersecurity, you become more cybersecurity conscious do you have a couple of good first steps um, th that they should take, or maybe they're looking to go from the IT side to the OT, like uh, like you are, or like you did. Well, um, that's a pretty kind of tough question, but I'm going to go back to everything and I'll say it, it's all mm -hmm. about community as well. Um, mm -hmm. Not just the knowledge that we talk about. Yes, certifications will get to a point. Uh, we'll get you to a point. Some of the classes will get you to a point, uh, but unfortunately. As of right now, even like if you just scroll to a couple of like LinkedIn jobs of yep. cybersecurity for industrial control systems, everything is requiring this type of uh, certifications. It's one of those things. I would say, take your time. You don't have to pay for the class. You can understand what's going to be in the certification exam. Study yep. yourself and just expend a couple of hundred dollars to take that certification. That would be a good first steps have the knowledge have the certifications because yep. some companies might not be forced to have it but they really like you if you have it um yep. that would be probably like my first thing because it's just very brand new recognized and the next yep. thing is just all about community mm -hmm. linkedin is a big community right yep. there is always people posting jobs and to me, honestly, it kind of fell on me. It was, you know, 10 years ago, it kind of fell on me and industrial firewall. What is this? I know networks, I know PLCs, and you kind of put everything together. But now if people is getting interested more in cybersecurity and there are a ton of cybersecurity jobs. I, mm -hmm. I just think even companies or, you know, the HR departments or the people trying to hire these experts, they don't even know what where they need or what they look for. So I would just say, study a lot, be curious, be confident, and um, just kind of jump in into the knowledge, right? Um, Absolutely. And take those Absolutely. certifications because that will get you there. You don't have to have a master's degree like I did. I had a company that backed me up to do that, but like yep. a certification will definitely get you there. And if you have two or three, even better. No, fantastic. I appreciate that. And then last question for you as we wrap up, you know, who, who should reach out to you? Who do you want to help? Who do you want to connect with? What are the conversations you're looking to have? 
Anyone. I love, as you can see, I love, I I love to talk. I don't have a problem. Anyone just grab my link in LinkedIn, connect with me now. Um, And any questions, honestly, I don't mind. It might be weird hours. If you're in the East Coast or if you're on the other side of the world, it might be weird hours. But um, overall, I, yeah, I love to talk and I love to talk cybersecurity. And, you know, I regularly do my posts within LinkedIn on, you know, maybe white papers or articles or maybe a specific scenario that I encountered and, and, you know, the recommendations that I did. So I post it out there just because information is just, sharing of information is really important. Um, No. Uh, for that, everybody that, on the cybersecurity side of things. That's amazing. And then will you be at S4X with uh, with the Phoenix yes. Contact Crew? Okay, so yes. you'll be, I, I think they announced, I think Dale announced it like April 19th through 21st. That's so right. coming up quickly, and my there's probably no better place to be than Miami uh, oh, at yeah. the end of April. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to throw that out there uh, for anyone that, that is not aware of the S4X uh conference and i hear it's always like the best conference it's time. amazing and just because we're going to be there and be a we are a sponsor you can go to s4x uh website and you can get tickets right now if you use the word phoenix you get 10 percent discount on the tickets oh what a, what a great placement we'll have to talk to dale <laughs> uh, we'll have to talk to dale on, on this and see if we can't uh can't find a way to help push that conference if, if he needs more people to show up but no uh thank you so much for that Miriam. uh and, and everyone, thank you for sticking with us. This has been an amazing show. We are super excited that Miriam helped kick off the cybersecurity theme this month. Um, again, thank you to Phoenix Contact for helping sponsor this and like all of their support of the show and the community in general. If you guys are still listening and haven't, uh, this, this is my page, right? Like, like throw us a like, subscribe, download the podcast. Uh, you can rate us on Apple and um Spotify. And I think you can also do it on audible. I don't know anyone who listens to the show on audible, but I've been told from podcasts that I listen to that do this much better than we do, that you can go ahead and rate us five stars on all of those things. And, and we ask uh, for you guys to do that because I think we've got one of the best communities uh, who continue to show up to the show and listen to all of these conversations. So um, until next week, we will see all of you guys soon. Thank you all very much. Thank you everyone. Thank you, Miriam again. Thank you. Thank see you, you guys.